Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Life Podcast. My name is Em and I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of the Sustainable Life app, an app for sustainable living made easy. The Sustainable Life app connects you with sustainable brands and businesses worldwide. And the purpose of this podcast is to interview various experts in the world about topics relating to sustainability. Our podcast objective is to help keep you informed, encouraged, and inspired. So COVID-19 sucks, and we all know it. But today's returning guest, small business owner, Stephanie Osler, has lived through and had her business survive the last recession. Stephanie is 100% certain that she will survive any upcoming recession too. Different from the majority of the narratives that we've been hearing nowadays, right? Most business owners are either closing shop indefinitely or they're struggling to survive and we get it. Stephanie and I have some differing opinions about certain things, but we have a deep mutual respect and admiration for one another. One thing for sure is we both wish the best for all small business owners of the world and especially encourage those who are doing their part to sell products and services that are clean, non-toxic, and sustainable. If you would like to feature your business on the Sustainable Life app, and this includes local beekeepers, local farms that sell produce, please be sure to visit our website, www.sustainablelifeapp.com, and click Feature Your Business on the top right. And there are multiple categories for you to choose from, in addition to retail, grocery stores, and salons. Fill out our super simple application form, upload a couple photos to make your profile stand out. And for those of you who currently are in a financial bind, use coupon code GRATITUDE-VIP and make sure you use all caps as the coupon code is case sensitive and your business will be featured on our app for free indefinitely. Time to tune into my chat with the awesome and amazing Stephanie Osler. Without further ado, let's get started. So today on the podcast, we have Stephanie Osler again. Did I say your last name right? Osler, right? Yeah, totally. Hey. Uh, so this is kind of our podcast number two. Last week's was an introduction of Stephanie and her business. And now we get to talk about COVID and how COVID has affected you and all the goodness that has come of it too, because you've actually used this time for your good. So Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hey, thanks. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get started. Like, um, obviously you have this amazing sustainable business where you sell products in a local retail shop, and then you also have a bit of an online business as well, where you sell some of your products. Um, and in my mind, during COVID, Stephanie's sitting at home and she's knitting <laughs> or and like you know preparing product for the future or I don't know you're dreaming up new things to make or you're doing like paperwork or something like that like how accurate is my my idea of like what you must be up to during this time <laughs> well I'm literally sitting in my home right now knitting so <laughs> you got it that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I'm catching up on all the stuff that I, I just have not been able to make time for um, I'm working on my my accounting. 
I've done a little bit of work on fall. I should be working a lot more on fall, but getting this accounting done has just been daunting. I've been planting a lot more plants on my balcony because I'm a big gardener. Cute. I've been canning everything because I, I, I just love making everything, not just clothing. And uh, I've spent a lot of time with my rabbits. So. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Oh my God. I wish I had a pet during this time so much. Like, I recommend it. I spend like days online looking at cotton detoliers because that's my dream dog. Um, so I've just been like looking at other people's pets. And I'm like, I want one so badly. You should consider fostering while COVID, COVID is happening. Uh, fostering, you were talking about like rabbits and then some other stuff, right? Oh, foster anything you want. Um, there's all sorts of animals out there that don't have long-term homes that need love. And I think it's ideal for people to be fostering right now, but I've got rabbits and I'm really happy with rabbits. And, and anybody wants to get rabbits, whether or not it's during a lockdown, I highly recommend fostering rabbits before you get rabbits full-time because they are a little bit different than traditional pets like cats and dogs but they are not like guinea pigs people think you can just keep them in a cage which you can't and so it's important to sort of learn the lifestyle of a rabbit before you commit because they live for eight to twelve years oh cute so like when you say they can't stay in a cage you mean like they need to be able to run around the house they need to be able to run around like you could put a rabbit in a cage for a few hours a night or something but you're you're going to just ruin it it's um you're going to traumatize it basically so my rabbits are strange they live around the house um they they love sitting we have the tv right over top of sort of their area and they love it because rabbits are really big on eye contact so as we watch tv they think we're making eye contact with them and they just stare at us they love it oh that's so i've got one staring at me right now over the top of my computer they're always they're always sitting somewhere where they're making eye contact so they could be between chair legs or behind a box or like anywhere they are, their head is just poking out just enough so that they can connect their eyes with your eyes. It's so funny. Oh, it's so cute. Okay, yeah. I'll think about it. That yeah. would be such a great idea to foster an animal and give it some love during this time. Oh, and you know, think about all the people who are so lonely and isolated and going insane. Just pets change everything. For me, they're really, um, they're a reality check because, you know, when your pet is sort of freaking out that you're not giving it the treat that it expects or you woke up a little late to feed it or, you know, all those little things that, that animals tend to express as, as little upsets, you can reflect on yourself and think about the time that you freaked out that somebody was late for lunch or that you were hangry and you didn't get fed on, on time. <laughs> You know, all these little things, every time my rabbits have a little like temper tantrum, I think that's me. Like today, one of my rabbits just binkied, which is when they do this cute little jump where they, they get excited and they jump in the air and, and in order to release all the energy they have, their legs sort of go in every direction. It's really funny. And he uh, a branch that I have, I, I give them all sorts of branches to chew on. So he knocked a branch over when he jumped in the air and he scared himself. And then he looked at me like, what did you do to me? <laughs> I think all the times that like, you know, I trip on a pair of shoes and I blame my boyfriend and then I look down and they're my shoes, you know, it's sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> we're responsible for our own trauma. So. That's so cute. Oh, I love that self-reflection. Great. That's beautiful. Well, um, so you wanted to share like kind of your perspective of like where businesses are going to be headed because of yeah. COVID and like what you kind of foresee the future being. And you've been in business for how many years now? 
Code 17. So you've lived through 2008, yeah. and then you also lived through 2000. No, you didn't live through no. 2000. We started okay. 2003, which was ideal timing. If you look at businesses, at least around Vancouver, a lot of the businesses that are still in business that are doing really well, that have been here for um, a while, started 2003, 2004, which okay. goes to show, because you were about to mention sort of millennial, millennium uh, downturn. Yeah. It's really good timing to start a business right out of a downturn. Like that is the ideal timing. You start planning during the downturn and, and you get, you hit the ground running. So right now for people sitting at home who don't have a business yet, this is great planning time. Um, it's really good to start when things are tough because it's easy for anybody to run a business when times are good. It's easy to just sell things when people have a lot of money and they're sort of carefree and loose with their wallet. But when you really find out what works and what doesn't work is when, when things get really tough during a recession, during a depression, you really learn who your customers are. You learn what you're really known for. You learn where your weaknesses are. I think it's a really great time to discover uh, the most important aspects of our ourselves, our businesses, our relationships, what we want. It's it's a really great opportunity. Yeah, for sure. But I will like, I, I respectfully, I do disagree a little bit. I feel yeah. like, um, you know, during this time, it's great to like dream up what your dream business would be and a lot of those other things, but also like, it's not gonna be easy once things start to pick up and customers want to start to buy and those kind of things running a business is so freaking hard no, you're man. at it in the morning up until midnight sometimes in the middle of the night you're waking up and you're freaking out like running a business is never ever ever easy like no, and, and I, I, I didn't say it would be easy I right <laughs> so good and easy are not the same they're not um they're not the same word but totally um, it it's never easy to run a business. Even when times are good, um, it, it, it still takes a lot of work. And I, I did imply that it's it's easy to, so I should I should back up. It's easier to sell things when people are loose with their wallets. Like okay. you can't you can't deny that if you were a, well, if you were a clothing business in Vancouver in two thousand seven, unless you really had no idea what you were doing, you could probably sell anything. And and it still takes a lot of work. There's remittances, there's staff, there's commercial leases. But but the difference between selling clothing in 2007 and selling clothing in 2009 are just like entirely different worlds. They're they're totally different species. And and it's the businesses that survived through 2008, 2009, and came out the other side that came out stronger. That's true. What did you do back when the recession hit? Like, how did you come back out of it? So I was about 22 and I'd never heard the word recession before. I mean, my parents used it when I was younger, but I didn't really know what it was. And during 2007, the beginning of 2008, when things were going amazing and like I implied, you could pretty much sell anything. We were doing so well and I thought it was because I was brilliant. Like I thought that I had <laughs> things out. I thought I, I was a great designer. We had about 12 people working for us at one point. We had three full-time sales reps. We had three stores in Hong Kong and stores in the Netherlands and stores all over the States. And we were just selling everywhere. And when the economy tanked, because I had taken all the credit for the good times, I really blamed myself for the crash. And it takes two consecutive quarters of negative growth in the economy to be termed a recession. And since we hadn't hit two consecutive quarters yet, the word recession wasn't common. And so I started digging for information because I didn't know what was happening, but I knew that everything had gone belly up and 
And if I didn't figure it out, if I didn't figure out what I was doing wrong, I was going to lose my business. And, and as I started putting the puzzle pieces together and realizing that this was actually something greater than what was happening in my own little teeny tiny company, uh, I realized it was an opportunity. So we had a store on Main Street that was about 400 square feet. And I realized that commercial lease was going, a commercial lease was going to be going for a very good deal because nobody wanted to sign leases at that point. So we signed a lease for eight years for 1500 square feet. It was probably one of the best priced leases on Main Street. It was a really great opportunity to get a commercial space. So I wouldn't recommend anybody get a commercial space right now. Uh, I think that we haven't even seen the fallout yet. I think that when businesses start to open up again is when we're really going to see the ramifications of this quarantine. And after that time, once businesses start closing because they can't pay their deferred rent or they don't have any customers, it's, it's, it's a total tragedy. It's horrible. But the truth is there's going to be a lot of commercial vacancies and landlords are going to be open to negotiation, especially, especially the longer they go with empty storefronts. A hundred percent. So one thing I also want to mention while we're talking about leases is when, when you do sign a lease during this time, uh, to put into your lease agreement stipulations or uh, sort of a structure based on the next quarantine. So as you're working with your negotiations, as you're working with your potential landlord, start talking about what that looks like if a quarantine happens again, so that next time this does happen, if you are the one in a commercial lease, you you may not be on the whole, on the hook for your entire rent bill when your store's closed. Like find a way to work together. I, I always have to see it from like the property owner's perspective too. Like if you're a property Absolutely. owner, <laughs> do your best to protect yourself too. Well, and you Obviously know what? you want your businesses to succeed, but you also want people who can actually afford to pay the leases um, so, during downturns. Let's give some advice to the property owner. If you yeah. have a five-year lease and you're going to calculate that you need to get 100% of whatever amount of money you need to make, whatever it is, and there's a possibility that you are not going to be collecting rent for six months of that entire lease, then you're going to take that that full percentage charge more per month in your lease so that when you do have a vacancy for six months or when you do have um, your tenant not paying for six months because of a lockdown, not because they run a bad business, but because of something that's out of their control, when you're not receiving that six months worth of rent, you've averaged that cost into the rest of the lease. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. You're not losing any money. So everybody's paying the same amount, uh, but rather than the tenant- You're breaking even if you're Breaking even. Yeah, everyone's paying the same amount, but but you're, you're shifting that vulnerability around. And the tenant also has to negotiate on their behalf for what they can tolerate. So, so nobody's in business to lose money. No landlord is in business to lose money. No tenant is in business to lose money, but these are where you have the ability to negotiate. And you don't want a landlord that loses money either because that leaves you vulnerable. I've been in positions where I've had commercial leases where the landlord is getting collections calls at my store. Oh, what? That's yeah, awesome. I've had that. So so you don't want to be, you don't want your landlord to lose money either, but you need to, you need to develop a relationship where you can both mitigate negative circumstances. Mm-hmm. And hopefully come out on top. Yeah, for both of you, for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't leave vulnerabilities for either one. And landlords need to protect themselves too, because if you as a landlord are creating a situation in which you can 
you can afford to allow for your tenant to have and, and figure out what the timeline is. Like nobody's going for nobody's going to be in a good place having tenants not pay for an entire year. But but if you could relieve them of four months of rent during a lockdown in lieu of getting that money elsewhere in the lease, if you can do that, then you're going to have a stronger tenant relationship too. Because if your tenant has to close their store down and walk away from your store, how many months are you going to be without a tenant anyway? Mm -hmm. That so makes complete sense. Yeah, it works on both sides. Don't and 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 I think people need to stop looking at these things like we're we're adversaries. We're we're actually colleagues. We're in business together. We're doing business together. As a landlord, your tenant needs to make money that benefits you because a commercial lease a tenant is responsible for the entire space, investing money into improving that infrastructure, renovating it, maintaining it. So as a landlord, you want a successful tenant to have the money to spend on that infrastructure, right? This goes in both directions. Oh, 100%. And I think like uh, my perspective is just like, everybody's going to come at it in a way of like, how will I survive? Completely. So if the, what you're saying is like, both people are at that point. So you just have to come together and be like, how can we survive? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the me to we. <laughs> how can we work together? And I'll, I'll tell a little, a little short story about a friend of mine. I won't say what business it was, but a friend of mine opened a restaurant and when they were looking for investors, they brought their landlord on as an investor in the restaurant, which was brilliant. So smart. Because the landlord was very flexible and gave them an incredibly low rental rate, but he was also profiting when the business made money. So a very small business doesn't have much in equity to offer a landlord. But if you're a medium-sized business where you're looking at actually paying out dividends or, or maybe if you're considering selling the business down the road, like a restaurant is a very viable business to sell, then that landlord can actually benefit from giving you a break. So there's so many different ways that we can work together to make this successful for everybody because everyone needs to profit or nobody profits. Have you seen a lot of businesses like um, in the last recession completely fail and go bankrupt and that kind of stuff? Like, did you have a lot of friends who went through that? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And I've had friends file for bankruptcy in the good times. Uh, I don't think people know that with commercial leases, it's not like residential leases where you are on the hook for paying it. You can't just walk away from it unless that landlord releases you from the lease. So sometimes filing for bankruptcy is the only way to get out of um, an obligation that you have no way of meeting. Um, it happens all the time and it's, a, it's really unfortunate, but that's why people need to develop really good relationships. And that's also why people really need to be aware of their strengths in business. Mm -hmm. So that's, one of the opportunities in a downturn is you really get to analyze what's working and what's not working because you can no longer support the things that don't work. You can no longer support the things that don't work. Give me an example of something that won't work. So in 2007, when literally everything sold, like we could make anything for the store, put it in there and sell it. We, we, we just made everything we possibly could. We got our hands on all the fabric we possibly could. We could not make clothing fast enough. Okay. When the economy tanked, we had to sit down and actually assess what uh, our demographic was, who we were selling to, uh, where the money was, and really start focusing on those items. And, and I'm seeing it further. So one of the one of the things that I, I always say on interviews, and I think I said in the last one, the biggest mistake I ever made in this business is I have too much variety. 
And it comes because I launched my company as a brick and mortar store back when nobody had an online store and you had to rely on foot traffic. So you had to be able to sell something to whoever walked in. So we had to have a lot of variety. And these days with, with online sales, you really need to specialize in something. You need to be really good at one thing and you need to find your customer wherever they are in the world because they're not walking through your door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every time the economy tanks, it's a big process for me of just cutting, cutting, cutting. What is not selling? What is not working? Just cut it, cut it, cut it. Where do I lose money? Because we make things every day that lose money. Mm-hmm. So it's a great opportunity to find out who your real demographic is, who's actually buying from your business, who supports it when times are tough. I still have online orders coming in. People are still buying things, but what are they buying? They're buying mostly underwear and jewelry. That's what people are buying from us. So we need to focus mostly on underwear and jewelry. Oh, that's fascinating. Because yeah. I love your sweaters. I love your jackets. Me too. Well, and, and the sweaters are a problem. I, um, I'm just <laughs> obsessed with knitting. Like I just, I just can't stop. You can't, you can't physically stop me from knitting. I can't. I love doing it. I don't need another sweater. So we'll keep on selling the sweaters because I really get a lot of personal pleasure out of it. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at online sales, because um, right now everybody needs an online store and I don't think I have to explain why it's such a necessity necessity at this time, but it is. Um, Think about what price points appeal to people online. People aren't going to spend a lot of money buying something from you they don't trust you so the the degree to which they trust you also equates to the amount of money they're willing to spend with you online does that make sense mm-hmm. 100%. So if you're walking into a store quote air quotes walking into a store online that you've never heard of before and you're looking for a thing you're looking for a dress but you don't know this company you don't know their track record you don't don't know their quality, you're probably only willing to spend 20 or $30 on something, which honestly is also means you're going to be sorely disappointed by the product you receive. But, mm-hmm. but if you're, if you're looking to buy something, um, that costs more money, you're going to go to the people you trust. So back to the sweater game, knitting a sweater takes me about 60 to 80 hours. The yarn costs $150. I'm never going to make my time back making a sweater, but I have to at least charge for the fabric and the overhead of running the store. So our mm-hmm. sweaters usually run about $300. If you can't try it on, if you can't easily return it, if you can't talk to me in person and learn more about this garment, it's going to be hard to part with $300 online, but it's easy to part with $25 for a pair of underwear. That's true. So companies really need to be reflecting also if we're all migrating online, uh, which is the direction things have been heading in for a long time. I don't like it, but that's just where they're going. Uh, we have to really look at what price points are working for us and what people are willing to spend and how do we develop trust? Because especially for a company like mine based in Vancouver, even if we weren't paying for a brick and mortar store, we're still paying higher wages. We're still paying more money for fabric. We're still paying a higher overhead than a lot of stores overseas are, or a lot of companies overseas are. Mm -hmm. So we are going to have to charge more for an equivalent product, not even more for a better product, but just more for an equivalent product. So we need to really work on building trust. That's beautiful. (laughs) Good. So uh, something that really comes to mind for me, which I kind of want to pick your little brain about, (laughs) your gorgeous brain about, um, is 
so obviously the recession last time is very different. It was like, had to do with like the financial market and blah, blah, blah. This is a whole new game. Like this is created by COVID and it's like the repercussions of what happens post pandemic um, to the economy. It's going to be very fascinating to see. So I'm a little bit curious about how it's going to affect our trade relations with other countries. Like, what do you think? <laughs> okay, this is a really, really great question. I love this. But first, I want to backtrack to this being uh, uh, caused by COVID because obviously that is the that's the trigger. That's that's the spark that lit the whole thing on fire. But you are into stock markets as well. And you know that we never fully recovered from 2008. Equities were sort of overblown because companies were doing buybacks. This may be, be a lot no, of- No, no, no. They're doing buybacks in the in recent years, but that's because they had so much money and they were being stupid with their money. But and they had so much money because of the quantitative easing for the most part. They haven't been investing in their companies, which implies the money has not really been getting to the average person or what they call the No, they weren't investing in new jobs somewhere. Yeah. Not, it's, it's- Only if they had to. Only no, 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 no. So, many people were investing in new jobs, please, like Amazon and so many others. They were yeah. actually creating new jobs within their companies. Others, like there are good companies out there that do their best to not have to give dividends unless they have to. But the so, majority of companies that are creating new jobs are creating new jobs at the lower end of the, the job spectrum. Like Amazon's not paying their workers a lot of money and they only hire people yeah, because they have to they're getting more money. They're not creating jobs ahead of demand. Mm, no, they invest a lot in innovation actually. They do, they do yeah. invest a lot. Um, Amazon doesn't generally work to create profit. They work to grow and and you see how that results in a larger company. But they, they also don't create very high paying jobs, which we know. They do have executives, but the majority of jobs they're creating are at the end, at the bottom end. Um, but the, mm. the credit crisis has been getting very high for people in middle class, middle North America, even Europe. It, we've, we've been taking out more and more and more debt. And at some point that house was going to collapse, whether it was quarantine or something else. So I yeah. think it, I mean, an, I'm so pissed. Okay. Sorry. This is a total. Yeah, go on like sidebar thingy, oh, but like, or tangent, but like, I'm so annoyed at Boeing. Like, why are you buying back your stock? And then now the freaking government is trying to bail you out. Like, I'm so annoyed by exactly. all of these companies. And I just want to like smack them across the head, like in a, in a non-aggressive way, <laughs> but like, you know, like emotionally, like, what were you thinking? Well, exactly. Oh. And that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So. The, you know that they call, you know that this, that they call uh, what we do, what we, you know, the making, the trading, the buying food, the, the real jobs, they call it the real economy. And the real economy has not really gotten better since 2008. So something had to give. I that being, what's it, that? It morphed. It's not that it didn't get better. It's that con consumption patterns have changed. Consumption patterns absolutely have changed. Yeah, but the quantitative yeah. easing they did never got into... Uh, the average person's pocket either. Mm. Let's just agree to disagree. I feel like that's like a very larger conversation that we could be having. 
it, it totally is. And I think it might be very unrelated, or unrelatable to a lot of our listeners. But the, Maybe. Point, <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make there is that this is actually an opportunity to clear out a lot of those debts and have good things coming. Like we're looking at, um, at uh, sort of minimum minimum incomes and and I, I don't want to say universal basic income but we're, we're looking at different ways of getting money into people's hands we've sort of broken the spell that government tells us that they can't directly give money to the citizens which is why they do quantitative easing and they they put the money into the stock market uh, but they've proven both Canadian and the American government those are the two I'm kind of talking about the most mm -hmm. um, have proven that they actually don't need those mechanisms so they've they've sort of revealed the genie behind the curtain and they've showed us that they can actually bail out citizens directly so that's going to change things going forward and i'm not sure how yet but back to your question about um supply chains the supply chains are broken back when i was uh still doing a full-time regular thing before the quarantine hit a couple months ago, uh, a lot of the stores were not receiving their product from China. They were running out of stuff. A lot of the fabric suppliers say the earliest they're going to get fabric right now is June, which is actually pretty good if you consider everything. Where's but the majority of their fabric coming from? Is it China, Indonesia, that place? A lot of it's coming from Asia. A lot of it's yeah. coming from Asia. Uh, but Europe's kind of messed up as well. So any fabric coming from Europe, like Italy produces a lot of product in the fashion sector and they've been devastated by the coronavirus. So don't expect anything coming out of Italy for for a while. I mean, some stuff, but not a lot, for sure. They do, they do a significant amount, but they sell a lot of it to Asia. Asia is obsessed with Italian made goods. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But there we're, you know, we're not going to be getting any any fine Italian leather goods or anything anytime soon but but i this is going to don't even get me started on leather <laughs> this is going to reframe how we see local production i think that yeah. we're going to have sort of two different camps this is further going to hollow out the middle of the the i'm, I'm focusing on fashion because that's what i know the most but it'll hollow out the middle of the fashion industry and we're going to have quality over quantity and the people who just bargain hunt online and shop at wish further polarizing those camps. Yeah, I get that. That makes complete sense to me. So companies want to be more vertically integrated because they're selling online. And if you're selling a product online that other people are selling, then people are going to deal hunt for it. So the more you can create and brand your own product, the better. People are going to be looking for quality. And the fact is it's a lot easier to control the quality and viability and consistency of a product if you can walk right into the facility that's producing it. So local is going to be king in a lot of senses. Yeah. It is going to remain expensive and we're going to lose probably about 80% of our clothing designers. But for the people who are really shopping for quality, who are looking for value, they're going to be looking for local. I'm so excited for that. And I, that's going to be like outside of obviously clothing and such as well. I think the, yeah. that trend is going to be set for a, multiple industries. People okay. are going to be focusing more on like locally made, um, it, not necessarily with like sustainability in mind, but I think the sustainability will be like a positive ripple effect of it. Completely. And, and a, a, a large part of sustainability, in my opinion, is quality because yeah. 
the way that we have changed our shopping habits to just buy, buy, buy and dispose of, it doesn't even really matter if you're buying organic, if you're constantly purchasing and throwing it away. It's not really, it, it is better than buying conventional if all things are equal, but ideally you want to be buying less things and taking care of them and making them last longer. Mm -hmm. And so what I did see out of 2008 was people were coming to me all the time and telling me that my stuff was the stuff that still worked in their wardrobe. Everything else had fallen apart long ago, but my stuff was the stuff that still held together. And oh. when I think about my experiences with H&M, I don't buy their stuff for myself personally, but I've had to use some of their stuff when I work in film. Uh, it doesn't last through the day. You, you can dress a character in a pair of pants from H&M, and by the end of the day, the crotch is ripped out, so you need to have multiple pairs of the same pants just so you can replace them throughout the day from H&M. <laughs> So and anyway, full disclosure, so Stephanie sometimes works in the film industry as a buyer. <laughs> and it's fascinating. And it's film and television industry, yeah. It gives me so much insight into shopping trends and yeah. quality and production, and it keeps me really well informed, and it, it, it's a really fun thing to do. But um, it anybody who is quarantined at home who hasn't bought any new clothing in a while is going to quickly notice what still looks good in their wardrobe as, a, as opposed to what they're throwing out what's sitting in the corner waiting for the thrift stores to open so H&M has to really work on their their quality control and and start using appropriate fabric for their garments they're using shirt fabric for pants of course they don't last it's ridiculous I mean I can't really comment on too much to do with a lot of that stuff all I will say is that I've I've read reports where even like their sustainable lines where they're using like um, recycled polyester and then also other kind of cleaner materials they don't necessarily share the percentage of it yep. so I, I don't agree with their marketing techniques I don't agree with anything H&M yeah, a lot of like greenwashing is happening there but like I don't know when you see people like Billie Eilish and those kind of people pair up with H&M then you're I, it just, it's very, very confusing, <laughs> all of it. So, I think what H&M is doing is also something that just sort of has to be tried by somebody eventually at some point, which is yeah. a fast fashion brand trying to be eco-friendly and, and they're not pulling it off. And for every reason they're not pulling it off is every reason we can demonstrate it's not going to work. Fast fashion needs to die a quick death as, as quickly as it came into existence, it needs to be gone. Fast fashion is going to be the death of all of us if we don't get rid of it. Yeah, or they need to like morph into recycled fashion and stop calling themselves But, but even fashion. recycled fashion, it's the same thing I mean that, that even if you're buying something organic, and I agree with you about um, the study they did with H&M, it was a Norwegian, uh, uh, it, was, it was in Norway, um, can't remember what the organization was but they were Norwegian and they said that they can't verify any quantities of recycled or sustainable materials in anything that H&M is selling yeah the percentage um, and if you are if you're buying an organic cotton t-shirt let's even just say it's 100% organic from H&M if you need to buy a new one every week you're still disastrously uh, creating consequences for the environment that's true. Why would they be buying one per week, though? Is it they just wear out so friend? fast? Oh, I get you. Oh well, my God, they're garbage. I it, can't. It can't happen. It absolutely can't happen. It 
with all, you know, you can use the most sustainable materials, you can use recycled whatever you want, but if the clothing doesn't last, it's not, it's not environmentally friendly. Even just think about the amount of petroleum that goes into shipping that clothing around the world. If you're producing that clothing to meet those prices and demands, it has to be made overseas. So right there, how much CO2 are you releasing and just shipping those garments around? Fast fashion does not work. It cannot be sustainable. Yeah, well, hopefully it dies a quick death, right? I would like to see a lot of it morph though, I'll be honest. And I just want it to become like 100% recycled fashion for the people who like need the cheap and the quick. I just, I would love for it to morph into that. I totally disagree. And the reason I disagree is because- What are you gonna do with all that leftover fabric? What are you gonna do? The first thing we need to do is slow it down. So we need to not be making so much and buying so much. We need to slow it down. A hundred percent. I agree with you that. I'm not saying like keep it fast. I'm just saying morph it completely so that it's a hundred percent recycled. You get the shit that they created in the past, you turn it back into thread and you just let it become its own little circular, whatever the heck. What I disagree with is the cheap part because somebody's paying for it. It's going to be cheap-ish, is what I'm saying. Because like the big, the big box stores and like okay, let's. I'm not saying let's keep H&M alive. I'm just saying that like there is a model that's been set up by various brick and mortar type businesses, like big box stores, mm-hmm. where they do sell product. So I just feel like if that product becomes a hundred percent recycled product, and there's people out there that for whatever reason want the polyester and the chemically ridden clothes and all that kind of stuff. And they're okay with that because of a particular price point. I'm not saying like keep hiring child labor, keep doing things the way you were doing, not at all. I'm just saying switch to a recycled mode. Sure. The prices will go up a bit, but I don't think it'll be substantial. Yeah. And that's why I disagree because right now those prices are only as low as they are because we're using uh, modernized slave labor. Okay, I get you. So I'm, I don't have any problem with recycling materials, though I, I want to point out that whenever you recycle a material, it is of a lower quality the next time because you're breaking the strands. So you actually reduce the viability in, in the material as you recycle it. Not to say we shouldn't recycle it, but it's it's more argument for why we need to make things better quality in the first place because we need to be recycling them less often as well. Things need to last as long as possible. But when they break it down and they turn it into a new thread, isn't it possible to make that thread then then stronger? Because it's essentially breaking it down completely and turning it into something new, no? Depends what the the base material is. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know enough about like the machines and how they work. Maybe you know more, I'm not too sure. If you're using a natural fiber, every time you recycle it, it becomes a lower quality. Interesting. But if you're using a synthetic fiber like polyester, you can you probably hypothetically melt it down and have a similar quality of product. Yeah. Polyester is really bad for our environment and your health. Your health <laughs> and putting so many chemicals into it every time you reconstitute it. You want to be doing that as few times as possible as well. There's nothing you want to recycle frequently. Totally. But like this is where I struggle is like what would we do with all of that 
crap fabric that's made itself into the world these oh, that's, like, you know, two, three and, decades. And we do need to recycle. It absolutely needs to yeah. happen. But the first thing that we need to stop doing is we need to stop buying garbage. And that's just it. And and I really have a problem when people say that that that, that poor people need to be able to afford clothing. And the reason I have a problem is because we're making uh, modernized slave labor okay. And everybody's life is equal and nobody deserves to be enslaved so that somebody else can wear clothing when there is so much clothing out there already. And it's not just clothing, it's like shoes, it's freaking home decor, it's oh. so much crap, it's ridiculous. I 100% agree with you. I'll say this to you over my computer where we know that the, the minerals mined in my computer it's to some degree at some point used slave labor it's probably horrible. yeah but we need we need and this is why like my computer right now i bought in 2009 um it's getting very slow but i i won't replace it right now because if we don't have another option right now the least we can do is make things last as long as possible drag out replacement as long as possible and back to me saying because i want to really um i, I don't want to sound like i I don't care about people who have no money or less money, but um, giving them garbage and making them pay for garbage that isn't going to last is actually not good for them financially either. Uh, we need to start looking at what what um, what people deserve. What are the minimum requirements for a person's life? Like food, shelter, clothing. Those are the basic needs that we need to be covering for all people. That's so beautiful. Hey, want to play a game? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I play this game with people who I really love, and clearly Aww. I love you. So it's it's called If I Had It All My Way. So each person takes turns to like sure. do a description of a situation if they had it all their way. Let's do it. Uh, so if, you know, the, the future of consumption in the world, uh -huh. um, if you had it all your way, what would it look like? Go. The future of consumption? Yeah. Um, it would be people really valuing what they have, really appreciating and, and not having as much. That's so simple and so beautiful. <laughs> Beat that. <laughs> Girl, mine is way more complicated. Here, let's hear. It's similar though. Like if I had it all my way, people would obviously consume according to their values, whatever they are. Yes. But then they would go to like the deepest core of their values, not just like I want this because I want to yeah. feel beautiful. It's like I, I want the earth to be respected. So like my, my, if I had it all my way, people would consume respecting their own health, the environment, and all living beings. And we would find some way for like innovation and the way we've always done things, like the way of the old and the new, to like just coexist so beautifully. I I just I just want everybody to be like happy and healthy and like prosper and just like everyone to be respected. That would be my dream. I want to live on Star Trek. <laughs> You're so weird. Ew. Why would you live on Star Trek? Oh my god. Have you ever watched Star Trek? They have oh, when I was a kid, I don't remember society. it. Everybody. They they have the ideal society. There's no such thing as a uh, shortage. Everyone's taken care of. Uh, we're talking about the Federation, of course, but okay. um, people don't really work for money. They work because they they, they get self, 
they, they feel validated. They want to do the thing they're doing. They offer up their lives. Oh, wow. So it's like they're serving their purpose, like yeah. what they want to do. That's beautiful. I should watch Star Trek. You should watch Star Trek. <laughs> Girl, I only like, I, I watched it as a kid. And then I think like I hear about it through like Big Bang Theory and like Sheldon Cooper a little bit every once in a while. Uh-huh. But uh, that's the extent of it. Is that what Will Wheaton was on? He was on Star Trek, right? Yeah, he was on Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, no, didn't watch it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, speaking of like COVID um, Netflix watching or whatever, have you started watching Travelers yet? No. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry for everybody who had to hear me cough. Um, it's so fascinating. It's like uh, Will from Will and Grace. Oh. So he's the, like one of the main characters. And essentially it's people in the future who come into present day to try to save the future because present day people like us have fucked it up. So oh, sorry, <laughs> I just swore. Oops, I'm not so, maybe I'll bleep that out. But we've um, messed it up so badly that um, essentially they have to come back to try to save it. And it's so fascinating because they, when they come back into present day, like Will's character, he was like, am I, am I drinking cow's milk? Like he was like drinking his coffee. <laughs> He's like, is this cow's milk? And I like stopped and I was like, no, no way. This is amazing. Like funny. best thing ever. So like everybody in the future goes vegan because essentially like the, the current day patterns ruined society so badly that they had to go vegan. And like, you think about COVID and like all these other diseases that come from like wild animals and stuff and the consuming of them. I know you eat, but I just like, I'm excited for the day where everybody goes vegan. Yeah, and, and you know I eat meat, and my, my thing is I'm excited for the day when people eat way less meat and um, and consider eating insects. And um, so I, they're so good, come on. You're so good. Um, but when, no, when we have, I want, want holistic farming. I want farming that integrates yeah. animals, plants, insects, everything into the environment. I want no monoculture. Um, have you seen, I think it's called The Biggest Little Farm, or no, maybe it's The Littlest Big Farm on Netflix. Not yet, no. Watch that right now. <laughs> right after we get off this, watch that. It is brilliant. I'll, really? I'll what it's called exactly. Um, is it like basically eating local? So like knowing where your meat comes from, knowing where that's your... one thing. So, so the show is about a couple who has this idea of holistic agriculture. Okay. And they don't really know anything about farming, but they, um, they get some investors, they buy some land, and the land is basically dead. The, the soil's eroded. It won't grow anything. They have to figure out how to bring it back to life. And you can imagine by the end of this documentary, they figure it out, and they're growing really incredible stuff, and, and they've they've come such a long way and they also learn the hard parts about life too like they have to kill animals and you know there's there's things they have to do but they learn to live in harmony with the environment and it's just so beautiful I swear I cried like they have to kill animals as in like if the animals try to come onto their farmland to like eat all their crops obviously you're gonna have to I do a little bit of a boom boom I don't want to give you any spoilers no I get it because my friend lives on a farm and like that's what she has to do is like to make sure that like the coyotes or whatever don't eat their goats they have to protect their goats like it gotta watch go watch that (laughs) Um, okay one thing I'm really working on right now um 
I'm, I'm trying not to overcommit myself, so I shouldn't overhype how much I'm working on it, but I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with food security right now. I'm, I'm feeling like we're going to have an opportunity to really discuss food security here. And I, I think that it's imperative that we start looking at the land use the way it is within urban centers and how we can cultivate food right here at home. Oh yeah, for sure. Like you mean, take up growing some of your own? Is that what you're talking about? Well, Community garden? How the city can be involved. Um, you know, when I ran for city council and I was door knocking all the time, I saw how many houses have lots of food they've been growing that is not being picked. And the consequence of not harvesting it is you get a lot of pests, you get raccoons, you get rats, you get mice, all sorts of things that are going to eat that. So it's Ew. imperative that we pick it. <laughs> um, but also that's food that could be feeding people. And so I've been reaching out to people who are working on food security in Vancouver, and I've had a number of really good conversations recently about it. And I'm going to put together some resources because it sounds like right now, the issue we have is very much a food allocation issue. So there is a lot of food being grown in the farm areas, the agricultural land around Vancouver, but it's not making it to market because there's not enough manpower to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, then. Like I said, the other thing I'm interested in is where food is already being grown in the city, where it's not being uh, utilized. And I also want to look at um, yards, like you mentioned, as potential for people growing their own food and can, making a new connection with their land. Because the reason we started growing these vast green fields in, in our front yards was a status symbol. We started growing grass because we we're showing off that we didn't need to grow our own food, but we've really lost touch with why we're growing grass and now it's just a burden to take care of. So to start looking at how we can cultivate beautiful food gardens uh, or utilize public land like parks to grow things that are potentially edible. We could be growing kale. You use kale a lot as decorative in, in gardens, but it's also edible. So it, kale's not really going to attract a lot in the way of rats or raccoons, but we could be growing it and then in times of need, we have a resource that we can use to feed people. Yeah, totally. And like buying direct from a lot of these farmers who are- Yeah they do sell from their property like a lot of them have stands and stuff on their property a lot and of them the problem is people getting out to them and not everybody in the city especially Vancouver has a car so I want to figure out how we can support that transportation oh that's cool and for yeah. those of you who have a car check out the sustainable life app and go to the grocery yeah. section because a lot of those farms are on the grocery section well and if we're reaching out to them if we can organize this well, we can create something like a co-op that we can also add to the Sustainable Life app. Yeah, that would be so cool. Right? Like, Eco-service providers that go and they pick up like, you know, your goods for you and drop it off to you or like have like a community pickup spot. So my vision right now at the moment is not a big vision because my problem is I overcommit myself to things. I obviously, like I'm a clothing designer, I'm teaching at SFU, I work in film occasionally, and now I want to start doing food cultivation. Like it's too much. Uh, sister, preach. You're preaching to the freaking choir. I have so many projects on the go. You know what we should do is we should get together and do projects so that we don't have to be like the one and only person that does everything. God. We need to, we need definitely to start a list. Everybody who's working on a lot of projects, we need to create a list of what we're working on so we can trade resources. So maybe that's mm -hmm. something you can add to your site. Or like help each other with yeah. like, you know, whatever project you're working on because one person's better at something than the other yeah. is. Yeah. And, and volunteers could even just go on and see what's going on and just pick away at some stuff if they want. Um, so what I'm working on right now, what I'm thinking is even just 
collecting food that's in the city or around the city right now and selling it at the farmer's market. And I want to sell it for a price that's comparable to whatever the farmers there are selling it for because I don't want to undercut them. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take away their business, but I want to get this food into the food supply chain because even by virtue of having more food in the chain, supply and demand dictates that prices all around should fall to some degree. And obviously I'm not going to be big enough to actually really influence that. But if we can really move this food into the supply chain, it would reduce prices for everybody across the board. And then I want to take any money we make there and I want to reinvest it in whatever it costs to run the operation, like maybe hiring people to go pick up the food or paying for gas to drive the cars or paying the farmer's market for the stand, whatever it takes. That's but just make it not-for-profit that takes all this food that's going to waste and gets it into people's kitchens. Oh my God. I don't know if we should be talking about this on the podcast, but I have a little idea regarding that. Sure. So my friend, um, Jazz, he has a farm up in Surrey Langley area and it's called God's Little Acre. And essentially what he does, yeah, he's awesome. So essentially what he does, yeah, well, he's, he's an amazing human being. So he used to be um, a cop and he was one of those people who had like a perfect shot. And the day he got his licensing for the perfect shot, he's like, I can't do this. (laughs) So then he became a truck driver and then he like drove his truck all across North America. Um, I think he was going through a midlife crisis and then um, he became a private detective and he started doing work for like global television and blah, blah, blah. And then he kind of gave that up and started the farm um, because he realized that like you you can't give people a job if they can't even feed themselves. No kidding. Um, So he just started like growing vegetables and his goal was to essentially create the farm, have a bunch of free vegetables and fruits, and then just give that to people who need it for no cost. So he created his farm and then one year he actually took like a truck full of tomatoes to the food bank in Surrey. Great. Accepted it and then they put it all over the news and they were like, if anybody needs tomatoes, come to the food bank. And Uh, then the next year when he did it, the food bank rejected his donation. Why? um, Because they didn't, they don't have a a structure set up. And I feel like he was a little bit silly for not giving them a clear enough heads up. Although maybe he did and I don't remember. Yeah. And then also on the food bank's end, they should have set up an infrastructure seeing that there was somebody who's willing to donate vegetables. Like that's a huge, that's a, that's an opportunity for like a fair or something like that. Like everybody go to the grounds and get free tomatoes once a year. Um, But anyways, so he got really upset and he started just giving like vegetables and stuff off of his property. But I know there's a lot of people who would like do something like that. So even like teaming up with like people like him. Yeah like getting them involved in the process would be amazing. Yep. Yeah, that's perfect. Just exactly what I'm looking for. People like that. There's so much and I'm I'm a little bit overwhelmed with the information I've received so far. Really? Yeah, because there's so much and there's so many people who are working on it and it really does sound like the biggest issue everyone has is a manpower shortage. Um, mm. And that's something that I'm personally also short on. So my goal at the moment is just create a database of all the different organizations working on it and all the different locations, and then uh, start talking to people and see who can fill some gaps. That would be so cool. Let me know if you need any help with that down the road. And like all these like farms and stuff that you see, they're so welcome to get onto the app for free. I'll give them a coupon code. That's a great idea. Yeah. How many farms do you have? 
Uh, like not many right now because I just relaunched the app. So probably like under 20, but these are like people that I've reached out to directly. So, you know, farms that, well, I mean, farms that I've reached out to like in Kamloops and like a couple locally that I know, right. but I need to obviously reach out to many, many more. So I'm using this time during COVID to like reach out to a certain places as well that I see withstanding COVID. So I've stopped reaching out to like cafes and restaurants and stuff, right. obviously, but like farms are smart. And then like, I guess, um, like direct to consumer brands as well, because yeah. when the depression happened back in, was it 1918? I don't remember the exact year. I was reading some reports because, you know, I'm really interested in the stock market and stuff about like, um, what kind of people actually survive the depression yeah. and it turns out that like luxury brands yeah actually did really really well so brands like coca-cola where people don't mind spending like time, it was like 20 cents for like a pop well let's um, talk about that for a cosmetics sec. yeah so have you done research on that yeah it was when when i was in high school and i was working on becoming a clothing designer and my mom was very much opposed to it she wanted me to go into health which thank god i didn't uh, <laughs> one of the things what? that i researched was that when people have been broke they don't want to look broke so mm. that's you can actually you can so back to what i was saying about um the economy was that you could there were there were hints that the economy was getting um vulnerable before the quarantine hit because it was becoming another all style goes time so like the 80s was in style the 90s was in style the 70s was in style the millennia like it was an all style go and and people style trends start changing really quickly style starts going really fast same thing in 2007 like everything was changing really fast every color was in style every month was a new color and then uh when the economy tanks the styles freeze so the first cool. thing i can mention for designers or for people who are trying to decide what to buy for their wardrobe styles are going to be frozen for a while so we'll have high-waisted pants in style for a while i'm looking at athleisure wear things that people can uh, be comfortable in that are fashionable because we've all been sitting on our couch working from home so we're not going to be wearing really structured things anymore a lot of loose fits will be in style because people want to order or they're going to have to order clothing online and loose fitting clothing doesn't have to fit um and then like exactly like you said luxury because people aren't going to be traveling so they're going to have a lot of disposable income they're going to want to spend on something that feels good mm -hmm. so, so like cosmetics will be doing well skincare products will be doing well um certain types of clothing um obviously undergarments things like that that like make you feel good so feel good products will do well things that you want like like to eat and are like quality completely um, yeah so, so what would you recommend for say um a boutique owner who uh sells clothing what what do you think they should do to transition um just focus on what you consume and what you value so like if i was a boutique owner like pockets and everything for sure yes. <laughs> and you know like you were talking about um our last podcast call about how pockets are expensive and that's yep. why women's garments don't have pockets in them and that kind of stuff yeah i you know how much i hate that because i want pockets in everything like you have pocket yeah. underwear i want some of your pocket underwear yeah. i still don't have any by the way um <laughs> so i would probably make like a pocket mart or something like that um and just have it be like pocket everything um or like just like find what you value and find what represents like um 
you know, feel good for you and then kind of stick to that and find a bunch of products that like go with that. So, um, and you'll probably do really, really well because you'll be, you'll, you'll be supplying goods to consumers who are like you. Like, that's why I created the app is I want an app where I can connect with like local retail shops that have products that I value. Same with restaurants, same with salons and spas and that kind of stuff. So I'm spending COVID like, you know, doing the best that I can so that after this recession is done, like the, the people who survive and then also the new people who have created new businesses during this time can get onto the app. And then hopefully 10 years from now, our our life looks so different and hopefully this is going to be the future way of being um apple will be one of many hopefully it's it's kind of a sidebar but i I just sort of wanted to add this because the language that i hear everybody using is is very interesting like this term who survives because you're not using it in connection to people surviving covid or dying from covid you're talking about businesses dying and what Mm -hmm. what i really want to reinforce because i think that i've heard that in a lot of people that have been interviewing me recently and a lot of people have been calling me um we should reframe it uh instead of talking about who survives talk about um talk about our um like our evolution or um what, what happens to butterflies? They like, morph, they, transform. They metamorphosis. <laughs> That's a good one. Because, yeah. because businesses are going to close, uh, leases are going to go unfulfilled and, and people are going to walk away from them. But, but people who have an entrepreneurial spirit have a tough time shaking it. And they're going to start new things. They're going to start different things or they're going to change. Even my business, no matter what happens, my business will survive if we use that term, but it's going to be a metamorphosis, whether it continues to have a brick and mortar store, or if I continue to have staff, or if I continue to make clothing, whatever happens, devil may wear will survive. And in five years, we're going to be having this conversation and I'm going to tell you about all the changes I made. That's so, really beautiful. But, but I think that's because that's who you are as a business owner. But I think many other cool. business owners, dude, like, I don't think they go into it with the type of I'm going to produce products that I value mindset. People are just, you know, someone will buy this, so I should do this. Like, I have a lot of friends, they have businesses where they're like, huh, there are people in, you know, like whatever their parents' home country, China, that like to do these kind of consuming patterns. So maybe I should create a business so that I can market things to those people. And they they don't care themselves. If they have that mindset, then they will follow the next trend. So the entrepreneurial spirit, somebody who's creative and optimistic, sees a crisis as an opportunity, looks for uh, correlations and patterns and things. I believe that um, we can all cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset regardless of whether or not we're business owners. I think it's a really important mindset, but it really revolves around um, optimism, risk-taking and resourcefulness. And so if, if somebody's created a business, even if it was just because there's a trend they see in the market, they're likely to be a person who will notice a new trend in the market and change. That's beautiful. So like you're basically saying instead of survive, say thrive. Yeah, we're, 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 <laughs> or metamorphosis or whatever. Yeah, yeah like shedding skin. So, so businesses, we're going to see a lot of them close. 
Um, on the upside, let's talk about the upsides to filing for bankruptcy. You wipe out all your debt, you start with a clean slate, you wipe away all your old bad ideas and you, you learn from them and you transform into something new and you, and you try something new. You don't start right away. You don't go, great, bankruptcy, let's do something tomorrow. That's kind of a frantic way to, to do business. But you take that time, you, you reflect, you think about what went wrong, what went right, how can you be more flexible? How can you respond better to crises? People are going to learn a lot. And I, I just want to change this concept of failure. Like, like what, what dying sounds like is, is that they, they, they failed, they didn't succeed. It's just that whatever business they had was not flexible enough to deal with a pandemic that was unpredicted. Okay. And I'll add like have integrity if you do file for bankruptcy. So if you have creditors, do you, like pay off those creditors oh, the best I that you can. Be. Like I am so like I've been screwed by people who have like filed for bankruptcy and then like taken away my stuff and I've been like four four or five grand in the hole because of them. That's and really I don't like people. <laughs> like Yeah, that. what happens on the other side of bankruptcy? Because um it happens. And, and I think that people need to, and I, I think this is also an entrepreneurial mindset to understand that the most valuable thing you have is your relationships. So if you're screwing people, you're, you're screwing yourself. You're mm -hmm. screwing yourself a lot more than anybody else because more important than the goods that you lost was the relationship. And hopefully like karma has something to do with that too, but that's all according to like faith and stuff. I don't know. I mean, you get what you put out there. So if you're constantly screwing people, I mean, there are people who have been successful so-called screwing people for a long time, but, mm. but you're not attracting genuine quality relationships into your life either, which is kind of the baseline of happiness for human beings. That's true. On so, that happy note. <laughs> yeah. Don't screw people. Don't screw people. Please have integrity and use this time to like find what makes you happy. Yeah, and yeah let's leave it on this note. Um, utilize the the down. Utilize the quarantine to figure out who you are and what you want, and and what you want to be in this world. How you want to live your life in this world. For me, I've learned how much I actually just really value gardening, and <laughs> and just being being having a quiet life. I really like it, and and I want to recognize that. And then cultivate your entrepreneurial spirit as an optimistic person, um, a flexible person, as a supportive person, develop your relationships because like everything else, when times are tough, this really demonstrates who you are as a person, what your character is. So people are going to look at you and how you respond in this time. And they're going to remember that. So take the opportunity to, to have some positive growth and positive change. Yeah. And know that you'll survive. A hundred percent. This You'll too shall pass. Totally. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you <laughs> so much for this next podcast. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love talking to you. I love that oh we gosh. we have deep conversations and we also don't always agree, but we 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 come to brilliant revelations when we talk. Yeah. Well, it's because we have a deep respect for one another, right? So yeah, yeah. We're not threatened by differences of opinion. I love it. Mm -mm. I res I love your opinion. I totally I respect it. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, love you, love you. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
The Sustainable Life app is a digital platform which includes a mobile app, website, podcast, and documentary series, all centered around the five factors for sustainable consumption, impact on human health, environmental impact, respect for human rights, respect for animal rights, and last but not least, socioeconomic advantage, because we want brands and businesses who have sustainable practices to succeed. The purpose of the free Sustainable Life app available on both Apple and Android is to connect you with sustainable brands and businesses worldwide. Use the app to do direct-to-consumer online shopping or for the fun hashtag shop local function through which you can find local retail shops, grocery stores, cafes, restaurants, salons, spas, event venues, eco-hotels, eco-tours, and even eco-service providers like makeup artists, naturopaths, and dog groomers. This app was created to make sustainable living easy for you. Use it at home and while you travel to live a life in line with your core values. And of course, to hashtag shop local. The app is available on both Apple and Android devices. Have a story idea or suggestions for a future guest for our podcast? Visit www.sustainablelifeapp.com to submit an idea or email us at podcast at sustainablelifeapp.com with your guest or show idea suggestions. Just a note that we are a non-judgmental community. It is our belief that no one is perfect. But if we all do our part to consume more sustainably, there will naturally be a positive ripple effect worldwide. Our hope is that the app helps to positively impact your health, the environment, and all living beings. On a legal note, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the guest and do not necessarily reflect that of Mangla Bunsel, Tell Your Story Productions, Inc., and its subsidiaries, affiliates, and associated companies, together with all respective officers, directors, and employees thereof. Thank you for being such an important part of our community. The love enlighten me salutes the love enlighten you. See you next time.